0: wait should i say it yeah be blunt as fuck
1: this is brutally blunt with jennifer and
0: katie hey guys welcome back to this week's episode of brutally blunt with jennifer and katie This week, we have my friend Emily on with us. So Emily has had like, well, she'll tell you a little bit about her background, but she has had a very successful career. Um, She's helped me with so much career advice. So we thought it would be beneficial for you guys to learn some of the things that she has told me, Um, just because, you know, we're all trying to grow our careers. We're all, well, not all of us are young, but some of us are young (laughs) and we're just trying to get started. And you know, just trying to make it out here in, in corporate America. Um, so, hey, Emily. Hey, guys. We're all young at heart. How about that?
1: Yes, mm. I feel like I'm going to be young at Some heart of us forever. Are,
0: yeah, just young in our <laughs> skin and our faces too. But you know,
1: you can't
2: have
0: it all. Yeah, you can't have we, it all. I
2: just realized I'm not. I'm not young at heart. I'm a
0: very old soul. Exactly. Um, That's probably why you're doing much better in your career than I
1: am. (laughs) That's why you got so far so quick.
0: (laughs) So can you tell us, like, tell us about your career? Like, where, what have you done in your career? What has gotten you to this point? Like, what are you doing at this point? Sure.
2: Okay, so the Cliff Notes version. I got started right out of undergrad in consulting and I knew I really liked working with people. I was interested in HR, but I did an HR internship and I realized a lot of it was really administrative and it was fun for a summer, but I didn't wanna be sort of like processing paperwork. and, And in order to break into an HR generalist role, you really have to start as an HR coordinator. And I felt like I'd already done that during my internship and wanted to see what other options were out there. So I explored HR consulting instead, and I found a couple of firms that are known in the space and ended up networking um, through my university. I went to Vanderbilt, go Doors, um, through our career services and found some alums who were really eager to talk and eager to help, and that's how I ended up getting my first job. So I worked in consulting for several years in New York, and then I moved to San Francisco, and I was doing compensation consulting, which no one ends up doing compensation on purpose. That's my running joke. And then I I said (laughs) that actually um, at my last job, and someone corrected me that he did go into compensation on purpose, so that was
1: awkward. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay, one person I've ever met has gone into compensation so on That's purpose. what I
1: was going to ask. Was it a career that, like, most people are like, okay, this is what I want to do?
2: No. So no. Like, I don't think any child grows up wanting <laughs> <Okay>. to <laughs> um, Most people don't even know that this job exists. Or, you know, when I tell people I work in comp, they're like, oh, yeah, I figured that somebody did that. But I, I didn't know who and I didn't know how. Yeah. Yeah, so I worked at Facebook previously and when I like met an engineer and mentioned that I worked in comp, he was he was like, Oh, comp for engineers. Like he assumed that people only worked on comp for engineers and there was like no one else that was worthy of having compensation program design. Um, so okay, anyhow, I was I worked for my consulting firm and I transferred with them from New York to SF and ended up Going to Facebook. I was there for a few years in various different roles. And now I'm working for Canva and I run total rewards there, so compensation and benefits. And I've just moved to Australia for this job, which is very exciting.
0: That's so crazy. You guys, we love Canva. We use it for like all of our templates for Instagram, Mm -hmm. like anything that you guys have seen that we've posted, we did it on Canva. So Absolutely yep. love
2: company. I love that. And it's a very different experience um, telling people that I work at Canva than the experience of telling people that I worked at Facebook. <laughs> like working at Facebook, people were like, oh, that's so cool. But you did get a lot of people who were like, I hate Facebook. Or, you know, <laughs> it's
1: everyone, like a love-hate.
2: Everyone had a very strong opinion. And I'd say half of people were like old people who wanted help using Facebook which was fine. And other people were people that thought Facebook was destroying society and democracy. When I tell people I work at Canva, half of people have never heard of it, which we're working on that. Uh, And then the other half of people are like, I love Canva. So it makes me very excited to hear that.
1: Why did you have to move to Australia for that? Is that where they're located?
2: Yeah, they are an Australian company, so that was always part of the draw, As I knew I wanted to like work abroad for real, and this opportunity f- fell into my lap. I-, I always hate when people ask me for advice about about these types of moves. Uh, I feel guilty saying it fell into my lap, which Facebook sort of did too.
1: people <laughs> just get lucky. <laughs> but like True. it sounds like you work hard towards it as well, so it's not just like, It sounds like two things are working for you
2: well i think like also i know one of the questions that we wanted to dive into was like what advice do you have for people who want to work abroad and like how to really progress in your career path and the advice that i would give for that is to find something that no one else really does or find something that's not such a crowded space and -hmm. figure out how to be good at that like there are not that many people in the comp space so it was very easy to establish expertise and and if you're willing to work hard, like build a good reputation there and then the opportunities sort of come to you instead of having to seek them out.
0: Well, and like what exactly is compensation? Like what is your day-to-day? Like what does yeah. this job entail? A very good
2: question. Compensation at um, sort of that very high level is figuring out how to pay people, um, how to pay people, how much to pay people. So it's about aligning individual behaviors with company goals. So it it has like a lot of different components and it's about figuring out how to motivate the behaviors that you want to motivate at your company. So you mm-hmm. can get very psychological about it, um, or you can get very scientific about it. There's a lot of great research out there but it's figuring out like, you know, we've got this workforce, how do we get the most out of them and make them feel rewarded, valued and actually engaged. So all of our motivations are aligned.
0: Okay. And so are you like, like, if a person wanted to get in the compensation, like, what would they be doing? Like, are they putting together packages? Are they, you know, like, what, what exactly does the job? Yeah, the day to day entail? The job looks quite different
2: at different types of companies. I'd say the biggest factor would be the size of the company you're working at. So for a really small company like a startup, they often don't have a comp person until they get to be, I don't know, maybe close to a thousand people. Um, They might just have an HR person who is overseeing everything. The business often handles um, compensation on the business side until you get to be a certain size but for someone who is a comp analyst or back when I started doing comp consulting um, right out of college, I did a lot of benchmarking. And so benchmarking is like a fundamental activity in the comp world. And this is how companies figure out how their jobs tie to the external market. So knowing the types of work going on and being very familiar with like the third party resources in the market that you can use to benchmark. So like salary surveys, are the really common one. And so knowing how those work and and being able to recall off the top of your head of, you know, Jennifer, you're telling me about the type of work that you do, like this is how that aligns to the market. And being able to pull market data to figure out what that like knowledge, skills and abilities associated with that job, what what those are worth.
0: Okay, so in your professional opinion, How much should we be paid for what we're doing? One, two, (laughs) three million. Like, do you know
1: all different, like, do you know entertainment? Do you know, um, tech? Yeah. Any, like, do you know it for marketing? marketing? I, I, I have a
2: background in tech. That was when I was working in consulting. When I went to San Francisco, I did that knowing that was going to be the market I was specializing in ended up being a very good move but there are certainly people that i worked with who are experts in the media industry in the entertainment industry in life sciences in retail in healthcare. so i have uh, in financial services i have like anecdotal um knowledge of some of the stuff based on some of the clients that i worked with but there are definitely deep experts in the field of all of the various industries. Okay. Um, you know, if a media company was or, or an entertainment company was hiring for a comp professional, I probably wouldn't be their ideal candidate because comp professionals are hired for their knowledge um, of the market and of the dynamics. So I wouldn't be like the most valuable person for that role. But for a role in tech, I
1: think I bring much more to the table does it like vary from um like state to state country to country I'd say like state to state less so but being in the Bay
2: Area having Bay Area expertise is is very valued um that was a big concern of mine moving to the Australian market to be totally honest um I was not sure how much of my knowledge would directly transfer, like knowledge of the U.S. tech market I've got in spades, but knowledge of the Australian market—it's all new. But I've realized that so much of like what you did, what I did to learn about the the Valley, I can just repeat those same behaviors to learn about um, the, the tech market in Sydney or in Australia. So it's networking, it's doing research, it's talking to business leaders. So, um, yeah, I'd say like the skills definitely are transferable. I'm going to be building up my wealth of knowledge um, because the way sort of supply and demand for talent in San Francisco is not the same as supply and demand for talent in Sydney. So some things are similar. That might be a coincidence. Some things are are different. um, That might be a coincidence, too.
0: And like on the flip side of this, like I when I was telling people that we were going to do this episode with you. Like a lot of people have the same question of, you know, like on the other side when you are going for a job. And I know I've talked with you a bunch, like when I've been getting my positions, like negotiating salary, like how do you do that? How do you like get the knowledge to even, you know, go about that or know if someone's going to lowball you or like is trying to screw Mm -hmm. you over?
2: This is not a part of any official job I've ever had, but is one of my favorite extracurricular activities is helping people negotiate um, offers. And I am very fortunate because I have sat on the other end of the table. I think recruiters obviously have like a great wealth of knowledge in this area as well. Um, but when you asked me my previous question, I talked about or about what does a day in the life look like? I talked mm-hmm. about being a comp analyst. Um, at larger companies, and and I guess even at small companies too, part of working in compensation is figuring out what do we pay our, our new hires. And so some people like right now at Canva, I am still building out my team. So I am doing a lot of work um, partnering with recruiters directly on comping offers. At Facebook, they had a dedicated team that all they did was comp offers. So I have, been like literally on the flip side and sort of i know what things i needed to hear as the comp professional in order to justify a higher offer in order to be willing to play ball with candidates so i think the best advice that i could give in this space is never offer up information first it's like basic negotiation any type of negotiation you wouldn't want to go in to a car dealership and tell them i'm looking to pay X, you want them to, to present their offer to you first, and so you are the one with more information at that point in time. Um, holding information and negotiation equals holding power. Um, one of the things that's very interesting in the compensation space is many companies now have like a, a much greater focus on pay equity, so making sure that they're paying equitably, fairly, consistently, so I don't want to be naive and tell people, oh, you don't need to worry about being lowballed Or I think people should definitely still always be looking out for themselves. But I do believe now more than ever, companies, it is in their best interest to make sure that people who are doing the same job are, are paid fairly and as mm-hmm. consistently as possible. Um, so one of the things that I think is like a big misconception in this space is that, like, salary is the be-all, end-all in negotiation. And I think salary is an output in new hire negotiation. But one of the things that I want people to understand is, like, salary is the output of um, sort of, like, where you are in the hierarchy of the organization and the job that you're doing. So one of the things that I encourage people to ask is, like, how you know, how am I leveled? Every company has like a different leveling structure, but when you're brought in as a new hire, you're hired for a specific role. And that role is only going to have so much flexibility from a salary or a compensation negotiation standpoint. So understanding like where you fit into that bigger framework will help you understand how much wiggle room there is. Um, you know, if you are hired into a certain level that might not be equivalent to like your your level in the market based on your current role, you know, it might be impossible for the new company to meet your current compensation or you might, yeah, you might be able to find out that your expectations or, or desires are aligned or not aligned with what the company is willing or able to offer. So that's like the first step that I encourage people is ask those questions to help you get a sense of like the landscape at the company and where you fit in. And then you can start asking um, like more of the detailed questions about numbers.
0: Okay, and you said like, don't give too much information upfront, I know like from my experience when I've been like interviewing with companies like they will ask you upfront, what is your salary expectation? And how do you navigate that? Like, I don't want to tell you that because then you're going to just go with whatever I say if it's like, low.
1: Do you need to do research beforehand to see like what people in that position are making? I think that's a, like a, yeah, you can do research. I always advise people that like
2: Glassdoor and those sort of public third-party sites are um, not super reliable. Like when you think about- Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, wow, like,
0: I use Glassdoor for every <laughs> fucking thing. Are you joking? I've been off this entire time.
2: The information there, I'm not saying it's in- invalid, but it's a, it's it's reported by a self-selecting population. So when you think about... Um, reporting your salary, if you feel really good about what you make, you are much more likely to go to Glassdoor and submit that there. If you don't feel great about what you make, you are probably not going to, yeah, it's confidential, but so it represents a self-selecting population first. And second of all is um, there is no way through these like third-party sites for people to really effectively benchmark either their role. So fine, if you're a software engineer, that's not super complicated. But like marketing, for example, there's so many different types of marketing jobs and job title is not always indicative of the work people are doing. So like a marketing manager at one place um, might not be the same role as a marketing manager at another place. Like the titles are not always representative And finally, like the level, there's no way for people on a glass door to effectively like level themselves. So I had a friend who was working at Amazon and she wanted to know like what level she would have been at Facebook. And she's like, I'm a marketing manager. I was like, all right, how many people do you manage? And she's like, well, like none. So is a manager actually managing people? Mm -hmm. Um, That's not always the case.
1: Was that more just like a title for her?
2: Yeah. And it's like, you might might be managing a program or managing a process. And like at Facebook, for example, job titles were flexible. People could essentially call themselves whatever they wanted. So it's not always the best indicator. So like that's the caveat that I would always give. Like Um, Glassdoor is a valuable resource, but take it with a grain of salt for sure. And if you're trying to bring that data to me as a comp professional, as a negotiation point, I'm probably going to undercut the validity of it. With that said, if you were to ask me, like, what better resources are there for people? Like, there aren't really great other resources.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, we got the inside scoop. There's (laughs) nothing. You're screwed.
2: Um, So when I do market research and when I design comp programs, like I use these third-party salary surveys, Um, a lot of people have heard of Radford, my previous firm, um, Willis Towers Watson has some, Mercer, so These are proprietary databases and so the only way that you can gain access to the reports is by actually submitting company data yourselves and like this is the way that the companies can charge the big bucks for them and actually maintain the data quality so if they were willing to give the report and they cost like thousands of dollars too. Um, So if they were just willing to give the report away to anyone who was willing to pay, then there would be no motivation for companies to actually share their data in the first
1: place. Mm -hmm. What if you get a lowball offer? Like, do you hold out on it or and like keep going back until they give you what you want? Or should you just leave and move on to another role? Yeah,
2: that's a good question. I think lowball, like, means something different to everyone, but to me, like, when I hear lowball offer, I'm thinking, like, 20% off from sort of the minimum of what I would want or what I'd be comfortable with, and that sort of figure, like, a 20% spread, you are unlikely to see that within a job, and so what I mean is, like, to use this marketing manager example, like, the range of the minimum to the maximum that they're able to pay for that job, like, might be, 20%. um, But it's very, very unlikely um, that you would be able to negotiate by, like, more than that within a job. So I would say if you have received what you think is a lowball offer, like, that is one I would very much ask those questions about, like, what is the level of this role? Like, what's the scope of responsibility? And understand, like, maybe where this role has been leveled was not aligned with your expectations of scope and thus salary. Like, salary is the outcome of the role. So like the knowledge, skills, and ability and the level, um, so scope and complexity.
0: Okay, so what if like, what if they give you an offer? Like say you're looking for $100,000 and they're coming in at 95, it's close. But like you really wanted that six figure salary because honestly, six figures sounds a lot better than five. And <laughs> like, what what is the best tactic to use to get them up that extra five thousand dollars or extra thousand dollars or whatever you need
2: yeah um i always say and uh, it's interesting i ran um i ran a, a training a course i don't i don't even know what i would call it i ran a session um for a group of women and it was all about negotiating compensation as women because research shows that women um the strategies that work for women are different than the strategies that work for men and the strategies that work for men often end up um, doing more harm to women than good. Um, it changes their perceived um, negatively. So what I always recommend to women negotiating especially is to always justify the ask. So if you want a six figure salary, like that's fine. Uh, who am I to say that that motivation is right, wrong? like that's totally valid. But is the person on the other side of the table going to think that that's valid? Probably not your best bet. So what I would say is like, ask yourself, like, what do I think this person needs to hear? And I'm not definitely not encouraging you to come up with an untruth or anything. But it's like, all right, I want I want 100k. What are the things for my current circumstance? Like, what can really justify this ask? Um, and so look at your current package. Are there elements that exist at your current company that are that don't exist at the new company? Like, is there some sort of delta there that you can call out? So highlight any differences there, or you know, your track record of performance at your previous company. Like, I'm not saying it's all going to work, but just think of data points that you can share that are more likely to influence the person on the other side of the table, whether that's the recruiter, or the hiring manager, or you know, if it's a larger company, they're going to go back and talk to comp about it. That would be my
1: advice. Is there like any way to know if you're applying for the same position as a guy? Like if there is difference in pay? Like, is there any way to know like you're getting screwed over being the woman <laughs> in oh my the gosh. situation? Well,
2: that would be illegal if that were true. Um, no, there's, there's not. And this is, this is something that I know is like a very hot, hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. And I will just remind everyone listening, it is illegal for companies to discourage or prohibit you from talking about pay. Um, this is something that like, I think it would be cool if we felt more comfortable being open and honest with each other about what we make um, to make these conversations less taboo. Um, but one One thing that I have, again, encountered like being on the other side of the table at like at Facebook, compensation was completely formulaic. And that's not the case for new hires. Like you can't offer everyone in the same role the exact same salary. But um, for increases, everything after you're in the door is formulaic. Um, It was. People like talk were very, very interested in talking about compensation for a period of time until people realized that what we said about comp, the fact that it was formulaic, was true. Like after that fact, it became a lot less interesting. Now that's not the case at every company. So I would, if if this is something you're passionate about, which I think it should be, like go out there and and talk to people about it. Um, I've I read an article about a woman who you know, was concerned about Katie, exactly what you just said. Like she was worried that she was paid less than her male coworker in the same role. And she asked him, and I I'd say, if that's something you want to do, make sure you just preface it by I'm concerned. I want to advocate for myself. Like I make X, if you're comfortable sharing with me what you make, like that would mean a lot. And in this, particular example like the fact that she had offered up what she was making first and the man did realize that there was a difference it made him much more willing likely to to reciprocate in the conversation and then
0: also feel like he could be a part of the solution I mean okay so it's like someone has your back I have no shame in my game honestly like when (laughs) I joined my team I asked everyone I was like what are you making and then I invited them over (laughs) for drinks at my house have them have a couple glasses of wine, liquor them like, up. Well, let's let's talk packages. What are you? Yeah. What's your base? And Did like they open up. So, oh yeah, I know what everyone makes. <laughs> I think what I would caution people also
2: is, let's say that you do find out that there's a difference between what you're making and what someone else is making, whether you're a woman, a man, non-binary, whether like you know, all of those details aside for a moment. There could be like there could be systemic discriminatory reasons why people are paid differently. There also could be totally valid performance based or historical pay based reasons. I'm not saying that it's fair. Um, that people are paid based on what they made in their previous role, but it's a reality of the market, right? Like if I'm hiring two people for the same job and one of them was making $30,000 more at their previous role, I'm going to have to pay that person more in order to accept the offer. And it just doesn't make business sense to then go and look at everyone else in that same job and automatically bump them all up to that salary. So this is like one of those sort of warty unfortunate realities that does exist. I'm a big proponent of companies using formulaic, um, like increases and bonuses and refresher grants to help normalize for these discrepancies over time. Um, So basically like minimize the amount of time that you're paying for sins of companies past, but you will at some point find out that someone else is making more than you. And, there could be valid reasons, there could be invalid reasons, but it is like a sensitive topic, and managers and HR are not always willing or even able to to talk about that stuff because um, they're not able to talk about the details of someone else's pay with you. So that's why it's like good to have conversations with peers directly
0: because you know they can help explain some of that context or detail for you networking is key guys liquor them up and people will tell you anything (laughs) I'm telling you
1: well like so say you find out everyone in your position is kind of making like a little bit of a difference here and there and because you guys all told each other and like you know how I don't know if you guys remember but on friends the cast like they were making, mm-hmm. Rachel and, or Jennifer Aniston and David Trimmer were, were making, like, way more than the other cast. And they all went in together and negotiated, like, we're all getting a million in an episode. So can you do that? Like, can you go in as a group and be like, we all want this?
2: I am, like, imagining that as an HR professional. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a nightmare to me. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I, like Well, I will say, I think that that would be more effective than one person alone saying, I want X.
1: So like strength um, in
2: numbers. Yeah, yeah, and again, like always, I think just trying to provide data and justification. Um, what I would advise is like whenever I've had people come to me and say like I found out that I'm making 100 and this other person on my team is making 110, like I I want to be making 110. Instead of going and saying to your manager, you know, this other person's making 110, like I like I want to make 110. I would go in and say to your manager. I want to be making 110. What do I need to develop? What do I need to do to grow in my role, to improve my performance, to get there? So, like, you know that data point is from another person. It generally doesn't help your cause to bring that into the conversation. Um, and this is from my personal experience. If you have a good manager, and even if you don't, the role of a manager is to be a partner to you in your success. And so you have to advocate for yourself, but your manager should be there to help you make it happen. So be very clear about what you want. Like, I want to be director, I want to be making X and, and talk to them and have those as like shared goals and develop the steps um, and, and shared accountability for how you guys can work on that together.
1: So you're saying like don't go in there and be like I know John makes one hundred and ten thousand dollars. I want that. You're just gonna be like, hey, like I really want to start making one hundred and ten thousand dollars. What can I do to get there without yeah, letting him know good. that you know I'm that John makes that?
2: I'm making a hundred. I'm I want to be making one ten. Like what do, what is the difference between where I'm at in my development and my performance and what the development and performance of someone who's making one ten should be? Yeah, that makes sense. In an ideal world, like I know this is me viewing the world with rose colored glasses, but in an ideal world, the future we're working towards is that if I'm making 100 and John is making 110, that should be because John is further developed in the role, has a stronger track record of performance using fair and unbiased systems and metrics. But in an ideal world, that's what we're working towards. So understanding, like, what is the difference, not using his name, but between, like, what I'm doing and what I would need to be doing in order to be there, and then breaking that down into actionable steps and, like, a realistic timeline.
1: That
0: and is the, if, if I, they can't tell you that, then lawsuit. <laughs>
1: oh yeah if they can't tell you if they're like oh yeah you're doing all you could do can you just be like well john's making 110 (laughs) because you're
0: paying john 110
1: like can you just come back in and be like i actually know you're doing that so (laughs) you might want (laughs) to don't lie to my face yeah but i'd say like the squeaky wheel gets the
2: oil um It's hard for me to say that, though, because then I also think of, like, very squeaky wheels who just keep asking for more and not, there are people who keep asking for more, not necessarily due to, like, performance-based reasons, and and they get it just because they're vocal, and you shouldn't have to be vocal in order um, to be recognized, but I'd say if your manager isn't able to answer those questions, like, then you can talk to their manager or find, like, like other resources internally to help you get answers to those questions. And if your company doesn't have sort of the the performance and talent infrastructure in place, like the expectations are not laid out clearly for your role, like that's the stuff that you should definitely be asking for and be very, very vocal about that. You need to know like what is the yardstick that you're being measured against. Like I, I guess if I had to sum up my view on compensation Um, In one little phrase, like it's it's an outcome. There are so many inputs into the outcome. And just focusing on changing like the outcome on its own, you're going to be less successful. Focusing on changing like the inputs is really where you're going to have success.
1: Okay, and then like. If you say you were applying for the same position in California versus like Arkansas, like do you need to know like your pay is going to be probably different in the same position, even if everything's the exact same?
0: Oh, or and that, like, what if you're moving to Arkansas from California for a position? That's like, a does
2: super, that super, super good question? And like, even more complicated, what if you're moving from California to London or Sydney?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know the difference. (laughs) There's
2: a lot of time talking to people about, um, but compensation is based on supply and demand. Um, It's an economic principle, but supply and demand for your job in your market. And that looks very different in different cities within the same state and different States. And like certainly in different countries, and then you throw currency on top of that. So for the example of moving from California to Arkansas, yes, supply and demand will probably look quite different for your role. And it is possible that someone making that move would be taking a pay cut, I would say it is likely. But on the flip side, like something that's also interesting in this like domestic mobility puzzle, is sometimes moving to places with lower costs of living. So cost of living and cost of labor are different. Um, cost of living is like, what is it it cost to have the same quality of life in different locations? And obviously the cost of living in Arkansas would be lower than in the Bay Area. But the cost of labor is not always uh, aligned to cost of living. And so a great example is I had a client when I worked in consulting in Alaska and they actually had to pay a premium. So like they had to pay more money to basically get talent to move to Alaska. Um, Like they didn't have very much supply for the demand in that market. So sometimes in places with lower cost of living, like you actually end up paying a premium for
0: certain skilled roles. Okay. So it might be, might be beneficial if you live in a, in a very expensive area to move to Alaska, at least. (laughs) Yeah. Not saying I'm going there.
2: When you go to different countries, it gets like very confusing because I think the natural instinct, right? If you're moving from California to Australia, like I did is, all right, this is what I'm making in California. Let me convert it to Australian dollars. And that should be my expectation of what I'm making. But in reality, like, the markets are completely independent. So, like, supply and demand in the Bay Area does not influence supply and demand in Australia.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I was just like.
2: There are certain jobs which pay a premium in the Bay Area, which don't in other markets and vice versa. Um, Like, certain types of engineering. I mean, security engineering pays a huge premium no matter where you go. But in Australia, I've learned that data engineering pays a premium to, like, generic um, software or apps development. That's not the case in the Bay Area. So just every market has different dynamics. So, um, and and I think people find this in Europe, and definitely it's the case in Australia. Um, the cost of labor is just lower in those areas than it is in many parts of the U.S., So when I took my U.S. salary and converted it to Australian dollars I am paid nowhere near that much in Australia but I'm still paid super well like the markets are just completely independent of one another
1: how long do you plan on living in Australia I have no idea until you see a spider
0: and dip (laughs) that's what that would be I heard they're the
1: size of plates
0: there is that true have you seen that
2: That was what Jennifer told me to try to convince me not to move to Australia. Okay, I wasn't
0: <laughs> trying to convince you. I was just laying out the fancy data. I'm just trying to give you all the data before you make a decision.
2: And she was like, I would love to come visit you, but I can't. Like the wildlife
1: seems really excited. intense in Australia. So that's why I'd be like, I don't know how long I could stay here. <laughs> like the well, second I saw a spider that was the size of a plate, I'd be like, done. I gotta go home.
2: I know. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying I won't feel the same. I have yet to see any spiders, um, let alone I think that they're called huntsman spiders. Mm-hmm. I I feel like weak in, in the stomach just thinking about it. Um, like wobbly. yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's let's um change the topic. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, okay, I, I'm, spiders
0: is not gonna stay there. Yeah, I, I have no
2: idea. Planning. Like I if I love it here, maybe I'll stay forever. Who knows? What if you meet
0: Ooh. someone? Do you think Yeah, a nice interested? Australian man in Aussie? my mom's worst nightmare.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Because then she's like, You're never coming home. But actually
2: these days, um, she's like, Can you import me? Like, can you bring me along with you? She's like, Is there enough room for me in your <laughs> quarantine room right now? She yeah, um, yeah the States is um not everyone's favorite place to be not right too, now not
0: too great right now australia's looking <laughs> pretty good even though they have huntsman spiders like if i was guaranteed <laughs> that i would never see a huntsman spider for sure
1: i would love to go to australia
0: i would love Wait. to go to australia yeah. but you okay on, i heard on tiktok that apparently in like the other realms so like once you die and stuff that there are no spiders so that's why when people like are born into this realm like this earth that's why they're so fucking afraid of spiders because they just Mm -hmm. don't exist like they're legit from hell
2: jennifer are you trying to tell me that you were want to
1: die to escape but this is going (laughs) she's she's trying to say spiders are not natural they're not so that's why everyone's scared of them because they're only here on earth which sucks i can get on board with that yeah
0: um so if you have a pet spider you're Fucking, I don't even like, want to say it because in case one of our listeners is, but you're fucking weird. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Like you are not of the same realm. That I'm from.
2: we can appreciate weird people, but, but yes,
0: we, we're not, <laughs> we're not one. We of are not friends. the same. We are not. How <laughs> so is the it same. living
1: in London versus Australia?
0: Oh, I have
2: such a soft spot for London. Um, for all of our listeners, I. I've done a couple of stints in London. I interned there when I was in uni. I'm still getting used to all my slang, and I I did. Um, Don't last turn this fall. into a
0: hilaria situation.
2: Are you gonna come with an accent? <laughs> <laughs> Good news is I cannot do an Australian accent. I'd like I can't.
1: After now. after nine months
2: basically only hearing Aussie accents I'm no better at imitating them than I was before so I feel pretty confident that I will never develop one um but I I did um three months in London last fall with my last job and I love it there um the work culture there is so funny like when I interned there in college, I just came, like, I came into work one day and some guy was talking about, like, having sex with his wife the night before, like, openly at work. There's just... I feel like I would like I was, to work there. Yeah, that sounds I was, like that's my, my current work situation. <laughs> I was so surprised um, at, at, at the perception of Americans abroad. Like, they think we are so prudish and uptight and very, very serious which compared to them I guess was the case. <laughs> I
0: would um, thought like they, would, they okay. would be so
1: liberal compared to them.
0: Yeah, have you heard this podcast Londoners? <laughs> <laughs> Is this prudence?
2: <laughs> but it was so much fun like we bet like they they bet on everything. We bet on everything. They love to bet, love to gamble. Um just I, everyone was kind and nice and there's always like sweets around which i guess working Mm -hmm. in tech now that's, that's the case regardless of where you were um i got into like a huge tea drinking habit like you can see apparently in australia tea is not the thing they're very into good coffee so i'm gonna be ostracized here but i can't give up my
1: tea did you ever have bangers and mash it no. honestly just, like, sounds so gross. <laughs> <That> sounds <laughs> disgusting. I
2: I love a good Sunday roast. Like, that's, that's one of the that most fun good. things. Like, uh, on Sunday, people in the UK like to go to the pub and have a Sunday roast, and they just drink for hours and eat their roast
1: it was a, gr- a great like fun. A good Sunday fun day <laughs> that's a dream yeah that's how I wrote all my Sundays like, I just love
2: like, uh-huh I love the pub culture too like there were pubs everywhere and it was um you could just pop in for a pint and yeah it was a pretty magical place to be it, it was right um before Christmas too so I I love London but when I was over there, part of the reason I ended up in Australia is I was like, "I love London so much, but I can't handle this weather. Where oh, yeah, can it's I go that it's better time. weather It's just like it's it's similar to Seattle, um, but I guess probably not even as nice during the summer. So
1: it's it like it
2: drizzles a lot.
1: It doesn't Seattle have like the highest suicide rate in the country? Does it? I think it does because they get like seasonal depression because it's like so sad to, like, somewhere that's like that I'm
2: sorry Yeah, not funny I will say that Washington state is like gorgeous during the summer but yeah like the I don't know how many days of sunshine they get but it's not that many
1: I wonder if like you live in London you're just used to the shitty weather so it like doesn't matter
0: yeah it doesn't bother you maybe yeah Yeah. I just I love yeah so I loved it
2: but I was just like if I'm gonna goes somewhere i want to be able to see the
0: sun well and i heard that london like doesn't have garbage disposals so oh. yeah you do I just throw it. it in the I,
1: trash you have to throw yeah, it in to the, the be trash one
2: to break it to you jennifer but like most places a lot like outside of the u.s don't have garbage disposal <laughs> really
1: <laughs> wow, well looks like i might yeah. be saying <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> no, that makes up but, my uh, mind
2: You know, someone was, I was talking to someone about this recently. I was like, if I had to choose between a garbage disposal and a dishwasher, I would choose a garbage disposal.
1: I would choose both. (laughs) Like, I I don't know. I can't really choose. I like both of them. I actually
0: had that choice in my last apartment and I chose the garbage disposal.
2: It's like
0: cleaning out a sink is so
1: revolting. Yeah. I guess there's that. So yeah, yeah, I guess I'd rather have that too. Did I mean, you that's,
2: to, that's about to be me, so. <laughs>
1: when you were, like, dressing in London since they were, like, um like for work and stuff, like, could you wear whatever you wanted since they're, like, more laid back versus, like, anywhere else that you worked?
2: No, that's a good question. They are more formal in that sense. Oh. Uh, like, when I interned there, I was oh. at a communications okay. firm, and it was, like, I could, the only jeans I could wear were like dark wash jeans and granted that was like back years ago. But now like I could have worn whatever I wanted, but no one went to work in sweats um, in London, which was very different from the Bay area. So of course, Jennifer knows that I love spending money. So I spent so much money on buying like all these like fancy, cute things to wear. And then I got back to San Francisco and I was like, what am I going to do with a fucking camel coat? Now I'm <laughs> Does Australia...
1: everyone just wear sweats in San Francisco? Well, like tech
0: culture. I like mean... they just don't give a shit what they look like. <laughs> yes, correct. In San Francisco, okay. people don't give a shit what they look like. Yeah, That's we've talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the style center of the world.
1: What about Australia? What's it like dressing there? Um, I mean, people like like look
2: cute, but it's like, they, I don't think that they wear sweats but it is, it's like a beach, Sydney is a beach town, so it's very casual. I feel like I've ended up in one of the few
0: places that's more casual than San Francisco. We'll, like, we'll send you some fashion cash. magazines from, like, New York just to <laughs> keep you on track.
2: Thank you. Yeah, like, heels and purses and stuff. Like, I don't really think I'm going to have so much to use for that stuff. Even um, in your I social it life? All- I hope I have a social life. I have a very busy social life for next weekend once I'm out of quarantine. I have plans on both Friday and Saturday. Sorry. I I would be overwhelmed.
0: Is Australia open?
1: Australia is open. I think they've been open and New Zealand. Like, I think they've been open. I know New Zealand has been. Yeah, Yeah,
2: Sydney actually, like, um there's an, an area like the northern beaches which has been on lockdown there is there's like a cluster there is a cluster here so there are, there are cases but like an outbreak in australia is like 100 cases so it's just a different magnitude than the u.s
0: maybe we should just go there you know and just do our 14 days and just so we can live a fucking I don't even normal think, life
1: are, are we not even allowed to fly in
0: yeah sorry yeah.
1: well how the
2: fuck did you get there <laughs> She works. I had my company gave my company applied for a travel exemption.
1: hmm Oh, Jesus Christ. Do they need a new really employee? We
0: can we can
2: make it's it. It's because work. in my it's because in my role I am contributing to the recovery of the Australian economy. That was the um, explanation that we gave.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Do they not see, can they not hear our contribution to all economies? Like, we should be able to travel wherever we want. Demon icons. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Worldwide icons. And just for the record, you guys, we didn't say that ourselves. Someone else said it. So. And they didn't even pay me. No. (laughs) Yeah. She's coming on here for free. Okay. So we are icons.
1: So if there's anything that you want to tell someone, like, getting in this position, like, is like the one thing they need to know, um, what would it be? I
2: think the the reason that I, or one of the reasons that I have been able to be successful in this career path is, is because of my God-given talent. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> I real, I'm trying to think of how to best say this. I bring two like different but complementary skill sets to the table so you can find me totally jamming out to music silently in excel doing some pretty intense analysis for hours like I get energy from that but I also love interacting with the business and having clients and like building those relationships and and building expertise about the work that goes on in, in different pockets of of the company, and sometimes that can be very draining. But I do get energy from that too, and I think you can be successful in comp if you don't have both of those. But the most successful people will have both of those skill sets and be able to balance them effectively. Um, like if you're just the quant, just working on numbers, you're going to find it very difficult to like design and launch effective programs and have like the business really pick up what you're putting down. And some of the stuff that you do, like I implemented hiring guidelines um, when I was at Facebook, like to tell the business and recruiters, you know, you have to offer within this range that like, that's not stuff that people like to hear up front. So you really have to work on building trust and, and the with them, like what's in it for me, helping people understand why, like, our, our interests are aligned. I would never want to propose something that's going to be bad for business, um, like not help us attract or retain the talent we want. Um, and on the flip side, if you have like just sort of the softer skills, the relationship skills, it's going to be really difficult to do like the analysis and, and have that technical depth that you need to build credibility um, and, and get the insights that you need to influence.
1: So I've learned this is not a career path for me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I definitely don't know. I have. I was like, wow, more. this is so much work, but like you enjoy it. Like that's yeah. awesome that you can like love what you do. Because that weird. doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. Yeah, and like if you can be on Excel and that <laughs> energizes and you, that doesn't
0: make you go cross eyed and you like, don't want to jump off. That's all. Oh, but it's like I usually go into those
2: um those modes after I've had like a couple of really challenging days of stakeholder management <laughs> just to like run my head into the wall so many times. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to sit here and be completely in charge of my own output and like very effective for a couple hours until I get lonely and want to then
0: argue with people again. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my day to day activity. I sit in my room all day until I'm ready to argue. And then I go out and start some drama. <laughs> you have more in common than you might think. Maybe I should be in compensation, guys. I'm giving maybe, up the podcast. Maybe now. you
2: should. <laughs> Working on offer approvals, I could
0: see you doing that, Jennifer, of like, no, nope, nope. I mean, that's my favorite fucking word is no. Ask anyone on my team.
2: <laughs> I remember like when some guy, like before I worked on any offers, some guy on my team was like, I think we should get Emily interacting with the recruiters. I was like, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea for for anyone, <laughs> um, but I ended up the recruiters were my favorite um, people to work with in my last job. Like as frustrating as it could be, and like sometimes the relationship did feel adversarial, like we had opposing interests. Um, I'm still I'm still in touch with a handful of them, and they were like lovely. Um, for the most part, lovely people. You had some some rotten apples in there too, but it was like fun, <laughs> challenging, if that made sense.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, I mean, thank you so much for coming on, you know, and sharing all this insight with us. We really appreciate it. This is like, I feel like this is such a hot topic. Like everyone needs to know this. Everyone needs to like understand at least a bit about compensation and how that can serve them. So we're super
1: grateful and, I definitely um, learned a lot because I, like, knew nothing. I was like, wow, this is, like, great information. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, Well, thank you guys for having me. And
2: I do, like, I love helping people negotiate. So, like, I am happy to help, to be a resource. Like, if you've got friends, send them my way. Like, I'll, I'll leave you with a story from this summer. There was someone that I um, knew from growing up who – was in a job, like very frustrated at work, really wanted to have like a change in career path. And they offer her her existing company, her current company, uh, made her an offer to move into this new job, but not have any sort of pay increase. And she was just like frustrated and felt demoralized. And she was interviewing with a different company for this same other sort of role but she was like, I just feel like I'm stu- so early on in that process, can you help me navigate this situation? And I, I was able to help her, you know, don't be scared when you're talking to recruiters, like let them know if you've got competing offers like be very upfront and communicative like their job is to present like the best slate of strong candidates to the business and and like your interests are more aligned than you think that they are and we ended up like you know I we talked about negotiating several times and she ended up getting this other job and she almost doubled her salary oh my god (laughs) being being able to be a part of that um was so rewarding for me. Uh, and yeah. just knowing like that's, that's like life changing for her. Yeah. So I, Double I was like, is honored huge. Yeah. I was like honored to have been a part of that. And as much as I love helping people in tech who like make a lot of money already negotiate more money, like this was a different experience and like um and so like so special. And yeah, I, I just love helping people Advocate for themselves. Like, we've all got it within us. You just, you know what you should ask for. You know what you want to ask for. You just need someone in your corner to, like, be that cheerleader and to tell you to go for it. And, like, that's the role I love to play.
0: Raw, raw bitch. Be <laughs> my cheerleader.
2: Was I too uplifting? No, that was good.
1: <laughs> so unlike me. <laughs> We always bring out different sides of people on this podcast. So <laughs> something about the quarantine—I
2: swear—it's accidentally turning me into a better person. Maybe.
0: <laughs> I think that's it. Make sure you guys go follow us at Brutally Blunt Podcast um, and on Instagram at Twitter. You guys already know it's fucked up at Brute Blunt Pod. <laughs> we're on the we're on the Facebook team here, not the Twitter. They won't let us have our fucking at. Um, but Emily do you want to drop your socials
2: oh sure you can find me on Instagram at Emily J Francis
0: perfect well thank you guys and we'll see you guys next week